This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, and I am here with the official Mission Impossible co-hosts. I am Drew Taylor, joined as always by the magnanimous Charles Hood. Charles, how you feeling? I'm feeling uh, great. I feel like I feel like I, I asked you that I felt like we maybe were saying official too much, and now you're just throwing it in my face. Now I'm the official co-host. Yes, correct. What are you? I'm also an official co-host. Okay. So, great. yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Officially, <laughs> yes. And we are officially very excited because this is one of our favorite interviews I think we've ever done yes. on the show. Yeah. Do you want to tell people who we've got this week? I, we, we're talking to Dale Dye, and this guy is a legend. Uh, I mean, we were so excited to talk to him. Just the you know the background of... of his career is so fascinating uh, and, and he talks about it. So he'll let him tell the story better than better than I can. But he was, you know, he's a military advisor and ended up acting in a lot of these movies over the years. And, and he sort of created a more authentic war movie in a way, you know, right. putting these actors through boot camps and things like that, starting with platoon and through many movies, including born on the 4th of July, uh, which Tom Cruise is in for uh, Oliver Stone. And um, you know, e- even, to the point where he gets parodied in Tropic Thunder. The Nick Nolte character in Tropic Thunder is based on him. So, and he, he ended up, you know, playing himself on Entourage. I mean, he's just, he's a legend. If we get into these stories and uh, yeah, there's a lot more next week too. Like we get into so much amazing stuff next week that it's, it, yeah, you have to come back. Um, but but this week is a, a lot about Mission Impossible. We get some good surprises about Mission Impossible. Some things that we did not know about Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible, which you think at this point we would know everything. And that is not the case. You'll hear some really fun surprises about his character. He plays Barnes in the first Mission Impossible movie. So he's Kittredge's second in command who Kittredge is always, you know, dressing down and talking to and stuff. So, uh, yeah, he's had a truly remarkable career. I'm just so excited for people to hear this. Just for context, we talk about Rob Bottin in this episode. Do you want to tell us, Drew, who Rob Bottin is? I mean, he's an absolute genius, of course. Absolutely. Yes, he is a makeup effects 
uh, special effects technician and artist, and he worked on the first Mission Impossible. He turned Tom Cruise into the senator, yes. among other amazing things in this movie. And you've seen his work in The Thing and uh, all sorts of different projects. A legend kind of has fallen off the grid. We've tried to track him down many times, have yeah. been unsuccessful. He's in hiding. But it was great to hear stories. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like absolute legend himself as well. But like you mentioned, The Thing, the John Carpenter, The Thing, and then he did, uh, he did RoboCop, Total Recall, seven fight club the howling he's a uh, uh, yeah a brilliant guy so we're, we're gonna track him down someday we're gonna find him right that's on our list of things to do absolutely and also on the list of things to do for the listeners charles is to buy mission impossible dead reckoning part one on digital or and now it's out on dvd blu-ray and 4k hd wherever you get your movies so i want to encourage everybody to get that it's got a ton of great special features we talked a little bit about those earlier and um yeah let's get into it charles and we'll be back after this Well, we are so thrilled to be joined by Dale Dye. Dale, do you want to tell people your story a little bit, just in case they don't know who you are, even though we know you are an absolute legend? Well, uh, you know, I I came to, uh, I retired from the United States Marine Corps after two decades, and and I really didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And, uh, you know, through an evening of uh, fuzzy-headed navel-gazing, I decided that, I had to bring something to the civilian table and I didn't know what the hell that could be. I mean, I didn't want to be, you know, I've been shot too many times to want to be a cop on today's mean streets. And, <laughs> and I knew that I'd be a suicide six months if I became a cubicle rat. So I had to, I had to do something that tickled my sort of creative artistic uh, bent and the common denominator and everything I seemed to uh, come up with was that I was a movie fan especially uh, war movies, uh, because, uh, frankly, they all pissed me off. They just weren't <laughs> representative of, of who I was and what I knew about the military. So I came up with a scheme that I was going to be the uh, uh, I was going to be the military advisor to the stars and, and correct some of this crap all about the military and so on and so forth. And and so, you know, uh, when you when you're ignorant, you can do a lot of things people tell you you can't do. And and. I, I came to Hollywood and said, OK, you know, I grabbed the first guy wearing a tie and carrying a briefcase and said, hey, are you a producer? Let me tell you how you're screwed up. And <laughs> it didn't work real well in the uh, Hollywood establishment. You know, they've made zillions of dollars making military movies before me. And, and it was hard to convince them that I had a better idea, better mousetrap. So I was about to give it up. I'd been out here about a year, out there about a year. And uh, just hadn't had any luck. And uh, I ran into a guy who'd been in Vietnam with me who was a fine artist. And he was working as a storyboard artist. And he said, look, uh, let me let me turn you on to something here that you might be able to handle. That was my first movie experience. The thing, a little a remake of a 1950s science fiction classic called Invaders from Mars. And my contribution was to bring in the Marines who killed the Martians. And of course... I had no compunction about killing Martians, so it was good for me. Uh, but it gave me a little look into what showbiz was like. And I began to learn, you know, the hierarchy and who does what and who's got respect and who doesn't have respect. 
And uh, I'd learned to read the trade papers at that point, uh, Daily Variety and that sort of thing. And I, I noticed a little blurb that said a heretofore relatively unknown writer-director by the name of Oliver Stone uh, was going to do a film based on his own experience as a combat infantryman in Vietnam. And I said, well, Jesus, you know, I did three tours in that country. I think I know the war. And uh, but I got to get to this guy. And through a series of machinations that I can't really tell you about because the statute of limitations may not have run out yet, I managed to get five minutes with Oliver Stone. He was cutting a film called Salvador at the time. And uh, and I pitched him and I said, look, you know, and I know what's wrong with military films, what's wrong with films about war and about combat. And I've got a way to fix that, which was to train the actors make them experience what they're portraying so that they can't make a mistake. Well, I guess had it been anybody but Oliver Stone, that probably would have gone right in the crapper, but he bought it. And he gave me 33 actors, uh, you know, some of which are now very famous. You wouldn't have known them then. Forrest Whitaker and uh, Willem Dafoe and Charlie Sheen and Tom Berenger. I had Johnny Depp. And uh, and so I took them into the mountains of the Philippines for three weeks and made them live as we lived when we were 19 year old infantrymen. And we brought that little five million dollar film home and won four Academy Awards, including uh, Best Picture and Best Director for Oliver. And he was gracious enough uh, at the Academy Awards uh, ceremonies to uh, recognize me as the guy who contributed so much to the film. And at that point, all my pitches and all my uh, getting thrown off lots for being a crazy man uh, suddenly ended. And uh, uh, everybody started calling me to do their war pictures. And and the, the point, I guess, which is pertinent to what we want to talk about is that I, I was also uh, forced into uh, becoming an actor at that point. <laughs> Oliver, Oliver decided that, you know, I should portray Captain Harris, the company commander in platoon. And uh, I, I was reluctant because I, I, I wasn't in this to be an actor. I didn't think I was. Oliver said, you are an actor. I've seen you. Uh, just do what you do. Be you. And it'll be great. And he was right. I mean, critics uh, recognized it, said, we don't know who this guy is, but he's pretty good. And, uh, and that kind of led to uh, my pursuing uh, roles that I could I could play myself because I didn't know that I could play anything else. And uh, at one point in 1995, I got a call from my theatrical agents. I had one at that point. And uh, she said, look, uh, there's this guy, Brian DePalma. And I said, oh, I recognize that. I, I know that name. And he thinks you might be good for this Tom Cruise movie that we're going to do uh, called Mission Impossible. I said, what, the TV show? I'm familiar with that. She said, no, this is a, there's a movie version of it. And so I went down and met De Palma and several other people, and they all decided that I would make a good secret agent uh, working for the, the outfit, if you will. And, and I had a great time. Uh, we, I, it wasn't much of a role uh, compared with some of the other people that were in it. Uh, but as an actor, I, you know, geez, I got to work with Tom Cruise and, and uh, Ving Rhames and John Voight, Vanessa Redgrave. I mean, I was in hog's heaven here. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, they, they took me over to uh, Pinewood Studios uh, in London and then into uh, the Czech Republic, uh, which one of my favorite places. And, uh, and I got to chase Tom Cruise all over the area. And, uh, and it was fun. It was, it was, I realized then that maybe I could be an actor. Maybe, maybe I did have something to bring to the screen. And, you know, 52 pictures later, I guess, I guess I proved it right. So anyway, that's that's the story. Well, yeah, I mean, normally when you were on these for a lot of these movies, right? You were you were there as as a version of yourself, but I imagine also there to help keep the actors sort of through their paces while they're actually shooting. But this is a completely separate character. I mean, you're just you are Barnes. You are yeah. this, this character, uh, and so I imagine that was that was fun for you. It was. Uh, and and I got a, I got into it. I got into the point where, you know, whatever whatever disguise uh, Brian De Palma wanted me to wear that day. You know, I wore a fat suit at one point. And, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Really? That was, that's in the restaurant. The restaurant scene. Oh, but you're Barnes in the restaurant, in the restaurant scene? scene. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That's amazing. Fat guy, flat cap glasses. Yeah, that's me. Uh so I, you know, I began to to get a kick out of showbiz, and we and John Voight was was wonderful, and so rather than looking at it, I began to understand the attraction to actors who, who are really uh, hell. It's you know, you're 12 years old playing dress up. It's it was wonderful, and and uh, all I had to do was you know chase people around with a submachine gun and, and attempt to kill them, uh, and working with Henry Zerny was great. Henry, I was his chief agent. Uh, Barnes was the guy that was, you know, his go-to killer guy. And, uh, and that was fun because I, you know, you, it's, you let your imagination run and these things are great. Yeah. Well, you had worked with De Palma before on Casualties of War. So I was wondering what, how, how, had, how did your relationship sort of evolve and uh, mature or whatever between those movies? Well, he, he was an interesting guy. Um, when I auditioned for um, Casualties of War, I knew I had to go over the top. And so I did. Uh, <laughs> and it was the scene that with Michael that's scripted for Michael Fox. And uh, when I confront him as his company commander and uh, and I just I blew. I remember the caster director was sitting in there and I scared the shit out of him. I mean, he. <laughs> He didn't know who is this guy and, and is he going to kill me? So I blew up and did this diatribe and De Palma just sat there and grinned. He loved it. That was exactly what he was, what he was after. And, uh, but the casting director was over in a corner cowering somewhere. And, uh, and I said, well, I, I either fell through my butt or I got that one. <clears throat> and I walked out of there, you know, threw my car keys on the desk and walked out of there. And then I said, Oh hell! I forgot my car keys, so I had to go back into the cast. I said, "Excuse me, I'm I'm the weird guy that just about killed you. I, I need to get my car keys." <laughs> so that was that was an interesting thing. But Brian De Palma, I think, recognized that I was kind of fresh to the acting game, and would go where my instincts led me. And he, in in some cases, I think, um, is an instinctual director when he deals with actors. He tends to watch what they're doing and either push them one way or another, but he doesn't over-direct them. 
you know, he lets the their instincts take root. And I think that's what he saw in me. He said, this guy, I'm not sure what he'll do, but it'll be what I want. So let him go. And I think that carried over in his decision to uh, to cast me in uh, Mission Impossible. He kind of gets a rap as a as an overtly technical director, but it sounds like he did give you some nice guidance as a performer. Well, if if you're if you're not a trained actor that's looking to have your nose wiped every five minutes, uh, that's great. I mean, let him get you know, he was wrapped around the camera and angles and, and all that sort of thing. And and so as long as I started out when he said action and went somewhere where he was looking for, he it was fine with him. So you you do have a freedom in that regard. I mean, you can't go completely off the rails. You got to stick to the story and your part in the story. Uh, but once once he determines that you can do that and are going to do that, he lets you run. That's nice to hear. We we had him on the show and he was he was lovely. Um, yeah, he's still a. He's still a spitfire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back with more from Dale Dye after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Can you talk about the dynamic with uh, with Henry Cerny? I mean, you're sharing a lot of scenes with him, and uh, you know, there's a lot of back and forth between the two of you. Uh, it's just a really fun dynamic with the two of you together, and he seems kind of always chagrined by everything. And what was that like? Well, Henry, you know, Henry had a, a thankless job. Uh, I think the film needed a villain other than Job, and and Henry kind of by default became the villain. And uh, and I don't think he particularly wanted to be that. Uh, but he being the actor he is, I mean, he carried and the guy has piercing blue eyes. Now, I've got blue eyes, but not like that. Uh, I mean, it looks like two pistols in a snowbank. I mean, it's 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 amazing. And uh, and I would I would get in a scene with him and he'd drill me with those eyes. And I felt like a private first class in the rear rank with a rusty rifle again. I mean, I didn't know what the hell. <laughs> But he but he's a he's a real pro. And he knew, I think, and and we discussed this a little bit, that he and I were going to turn out to be the semi bad guys, you know, chasing our own agent uh, across Europe and and that sort of thing. And and I said, look, uh, why don't you look at me as your, uh, you know, your trained attack dog and just give me what orders you want. And uh, and I'll I'll try to play the straight man. And and 
say yes sir no sir three bags full and so on and then you just nail me in whatever way you want to i said i'm used to it um and so and so he did i think i think henry appreciated that opportunity to to expand on on his character that way yeah you've got a great dynamic the two of you and i love how he pronounces your name we're obsessed with how he he speaks in that movie, but that Barnes, you know, that, <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah. I heard that the first time I said, and I, it, mentally I said, what the hell are you doing? I mean, it's a simple, I could say that, you know, in three languages, but he made a whole issue of it. And I thought it was, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. I just love your, love your dynamic. It's so great. Are there other scenes where maybe we don't know that Barnes is hiding out? Um, well, the, there's one in the restaurant, I remember, and there's another one in uh, on a street in Prague where I, I walk under, I don't know if they even made the cut, but I'm, I'm disguised. They, they put a beard on me and uh, you see me in the shadows. Wow. Is it in the in the parking lot or, or is it? Yeah, it's in a park in a park. OK, lot. Yeah. now. I, OK, I'm, I'm going to be we, all our listeners out there. We got to get some eagle eyes. We need to start looking out. We got to find Barnes all over this movie. This is why this is why we have the 4K version. So that yes. we can see Barnes. Yeah. What it was, was I think somebody and I don't know if it was whether it was Brian De Palma or, or the uh, the writer, but they decided that. Barnes should show up in odd places <laughs> on his quest to follow Ethan, you know, uh, and, and I did, I showed up in all kinds of places. It was a damnedest thing. I, I never could tell when I would come in what kind of disguise I was going to be in that day, you know, and, and it, that was just fun for me. I, I enjoyed the hell out of this. <laughs> Who's I, this is the weirdest thing we have ever heard. We, we have never heard it's this story so before. I wonder who came <laughs> up with it. I, I'm not sure who did, but but um, it was great for me, you know, because it got me on screen. If you couldn't recognize me uh, several times and it, it kind of played into my sense of the story that this guy Barnes was was a top agent and he was always heavily armed, but usually disguised. And he could he could walk around and follow Hunt. And I think it was, you know, they, in my view, the way it came out. Brian just wanted to show that Ethan was being shadowed all the time. And so he, how much, how much of it was in the final cut? I can't remember, but there was a bunch of them. Wow. So were you working with Rob Botin, the amazing uh, makeup man? Yeah. Who... Yeah. Especially oh, okay. Can the, you talk about that? Yeah. Especially in the fat suit thing. Uh, he, he said he thought I was the whitest man he'd ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, well, hell, do something about it. You know, so he um, they they didn't go as far as to put contact lenses on me, which I was kind of expecting. But I, I don't think I was in that kind of close up that, that that would make a lot of difference about the color of my eyes. But um, there was all kinds of crap that, uh, you know, they they dyed my hair at one point or uh, or no, uh, put a wig on me at one point to cover the white hair. And. Uh, he was great. And I think I think what it was is he saw it as a challenge. You know, I I cannot let audiences identify this guy, <laughs> yet they need to know that he's somebody that, that we've seen. So he had a he had a great time with it, I think. I think he did too good of a job. 
because no, we've never spotted you. I've seen this movie like a hundred times. Yeah. Now I've got to now I've got to watch just for Dale Die next time. I'm gonna watch. Yeah. My God. Yeah. That was always the goal to watch just for Dale Die, and now now it's coming true. <laughs> yes. Well, do you want to talk about working with Tom? I mean, you know, everybody we everybody loves a good story about that. So yeah. Well, I I had a long I had a. Uh, an ongoing relationship. I still have an ongoing relationship with Tom and I, I really like, it. uh, I trained him for a uh, casualty, uh, uh, born on the 4th of July. Oh, that's right. And what I discovered about him is that he's got a huge heart. Hmm. This guy doesn't know how to say no. I mean, if you tell him, no, uh, stand by, he's going to pester the hell out of you until he gets yes. <laughs> and he won't quit. I mean, I gave him I gave him field problems in training that uh, his unit screwed up two or three times. And I said, OK, back to the schoolhouse. You guys don't get it. And he wouldn't quit. He said, no, no, no. Let, let me do it one more time. And lo and behold, he got it right. So I think I think he's that kind of guy. And of course, the later work he's done, especially on the Mission Impossible series, uh, demonstrates that. I mean, uh, he's courageous, uh, sometimes to a fault. He, he worries me. He's going to kill himself one of these days. But <laughs> but that's Tom. And and the neat thing about it is uh, he he will reach out and cast me in something. Um, for instance, uh, we did a we did a film uh, called Night and Day, K N I G H T and and Day, and he out of the blue he called and cast me as his father. He wanted me to play his dad in Night and Day, so I did that. But he's uh, he's quite a guy, and and uh, I've always found it to be kind and considerate. I mean, he's a tough taskmaster. He he didn't want to hear we can't do it or 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 it costs too much money. He didn't want to hear that. And the results of his film show that you know he's he's courageous and bearding the lion, if you will. But um, I've always been uh, tremendously gratified and and complimented that he reaches out to get me when he wants some old fart, you know, that's got to do something in his films. He'll he'll come and get me. And and that's been that's been a, a great a uh, great gratifying factor. Pretty pretty great honor to be brought in as the dad as Tom Cruise's dad. That's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you so? Did you knew that like this was a guy who who could do these later things in his career, the flying the jets and uh, you know falling out of helicopters and things. You you had you had a sense that that was in him. I I had a sense that he was going to do whatever the hell he wanted to do. And, uh, <laughs> and the more I got to know him, the more I said, well, he's going to do some weird stuff and he wants to do it himself. And I don't know where that comes from. I mean, he's not, he doesn't lack self-confidence. And I certainly, you know, he certainly got a, a good solid dose of machismo. So I don't know why he does those things, except maybe he just gets a kick out of it. <laughs> um, I mean, it reminds me of some guys I've known in, in the military. Uh, we call them adrenaline junkies. Uh, and these are, these are the guys who want combat. They don't want contact. They want the rounds to start flying. Right. Never feel more alive than when they're doing that sort of thing. And I think, I think Tom may have a little of that in him. Yeah. And it, it, that's my sense of it anyway. 
Well, you, you have this amazing relationship with uh, Oliver Stone, obviously. Uh, I love you in that great sort of flashback sequence in JFK where you're one of the shadowy generals. But uh, he was <laughs> he was going thing. to be— I'm always a shadowy guy. <laughs> you are a shadow. <laughs> but you're so nice and pleasant in real life uh, that you keep getting, uh, keep getting brought in as the shadowy guy. <laughs> but, you know, t- you know that Oliver was going to do Mission Impossible 2— and I and I we were wondering if he ever spoke to you about coming back for that, or if you ever had conversations about that. Yeah, but I'm I wasn't sure he was going to do that. I mean, he was also prepping a film. Uh, he was also going to do Evita at that point. Right. So, uh, you know, I had a couple of meetings with him, and he discussed all kinds of things that he wants to do. I'm I'm kind of a sounding board with him because we're both veterans, and and uh, and I think he he feels safe talking to me about things. And he knows that I'm not a big showbiz hookup guy. And, and so I'm unlikely to tell secrets out of school or anything like that. So yeah, he mentioned it. Uh, and I kind of promptly forgot it because he, he had so many other things on his plate that, you know, I just wait for him to pick it. But he had mentioned that, that he thought he would bring me back and, and uh, make a bigger deal out of Barnes. Which is fine with me, <laughs> <laughs> man. We would lo- we would have loved that more yeah. Barnes is always yeah. good. I would have loved it. Well, y- you say you're not a show, but I mean, are you s- sitting around at the VA drinking a cup of coffee while you're listening to these other guys moan about stuff, and you're saying, "Oh yeah, I was chasing Tom Cruise around Eastern Europe." I mean, is that like something that goes on? Well, first of all, if I'm at the VFW or the or the American Legion, I'm not drinking coffee. Uh, <laughs> so let's correct that. Issue. Okay, we got to correct that. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it comes up. Look, uh, you know, <laughs> when you're when you're an actor and and you've been on in films and people recognize you and so on and so, especially in a little town like Lockhart, Texas. I mean, you're a big fish in a little pool there, and. Uh, and so, you know, the guys say, yeah, you know, I, we had a hard time during Ted of 68. And I said, listen, man, let me tell you about chasing Tom Cruise. You know, so I, <laughs> you think you had it tough. Yeah, that really is, puts things in perspective. Yeah, you had yeah. Tough, boy. I was living in that hotel and uh, eating bonbons and that was hard. Anyway, yeah, that comes up. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back with more from Dale Dye after the break. We have to ask you about um, uh, William Friedkin. Where you you were in his final film that is about to come out, right? You did a couple of movies with him. God bless Billy. I mean, um, he one of my absolute favorite people and favorite directors. Um, you know, he taught me his speak a little Yiddish, which I thought was great. And uh, uh, so we were always, you know, I'm for Clemp Billy. I don't know what to do. And uh, <laughs> but he he loved that. And he had a great sense of humor. Everybody was Mo. And I remember having, we were we were doing uh, we were getting ready. To, no, we were in the midst of shooting um, um, rules of rules of engagement. Yes. Rules. Thank you. Rules of engagement. And uh, Billy took me out to dinner with his first AD and, and, uh, and we were we in Georgetown in DC. And he said, you know, 
we're right near the steps where I shot the exorcist thing. And I said, oh, Jesus, will you take me there? (laughs) And he took me there. I could see immediately, you know, I could see it in his mind, you know, what was happening. So he's a a sweetheart. And he he always stayed in touch with me, always uh, kept me in his pocket for whatever he needed when he needed advice on military stuff. And so he he called and said, look, uh, I'm going to do, um, I'm 82, and I'm going to do this uh, cane mutiny court-martial. And I said, what, are you going to do the whole cane mutiny? And he said, no, 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 just the court-martial part of it. And so I said, well, that's interesting. You think you got enough going? And he said, well, I got Kiefer Sutherland. I got you. I got Lance Reddick. So I said, all right, look. And he, he had me go through the entire script and sort of take it from World War II up to current times. And it was, it was difficult uh, to, to stay within the parameters of, of uh, Wook's book and, uh, and still produce what the court-martial situation that, that Quig was facing, uh, the mutiny. And, uh, and so I did it. And he said, look, you've, you've rewritten too much. I need, to, I need to stay with the book. And I said, okay, good. But you, you've got to change some things. And he went along with that. We changed it to the Persian Gulf and, and so on and so forth. But, but while I was middling around on this thing, he said, look, uh, I, want, I want you in the movie. And I said, Billy, doing what? And he said, well, you're the, you, you're the senior guy on the court-martial board. We got to bring you in here. And I thought he meant the, the, provided, the presiding president of the court-martial board. But he'd already cast that role. That was Lance Riddick. And uh, poor Lance, uh, God bless him, too, died not long after we did it. So I'm, I'm in there a lot looking judicious and, and old and, and Navy. But um, and I think I had a few lines, but they got cut, I believe, in the, in the final uh, series. And keep, just watching Keeper Sutherland uh, melt on that witness stand was a, I loved it. That was an acting lesson right there. But I think, I think the the deal with Billy was that he, he just felt comfortable if I was there and he could always look to me and say, is this okay, Mo? Is this good? I said, yeah, we're fine. Or, or, or I would suggest something else, but he treated me as an absolute brother and a, and a, a compatriot and a fellow artist. And uh, you can't ask for much more from a guy like Friedkin. Uh, we lost it. We lost a real artist when we lost him and, and lost the artist in, uh, in Lance Riddick. I mean, I, when I came away from this film and Billy died and Lance died, I said, Christ, am I next? I mean, is this the, the curse of the court martial scene and in uh, Kane Mutiny? So I don't know. I hope not. But there you go. Well, did he seem spirited on set and i also wanted to know i know that that guillermo was kind of hanging around too to to help out and what your relationship was like with him yeah guillermo guillermo was absolutely great i'd never met him before but he apparently knew my work and and just talked to me about it and he was so gracious such a great guy and he was kind of shadowing billy as as we made the film and i think billy was smart enough to deter, you know, when he didn't feel up to it, didn't want to mess with it. Uh, Guillermo would go out there and, and do a little staging, a little choreography for him and, and help him out. But he wasn't pushy. Guillermo uh, really respected Billy. 
And so he didn't want to usurp his role as, as a primary director. But a great guy. I really enjoyed seeing him. And, and I have a feeling if, if half of what he said about my work is true, maybe Guillermo will cast me in something. You're going to end up in a Guillermo del Toro movie soon. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. You're going to be a creature. You're going to be in a prosthetic. Uh, of course suit. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an honor that would be. Billy was Billy was uh, in a wheelchair, but as spirited as I've ever seen him. I mean, you, you know, he would tell you, I, I don't know how much strength I got, and we didn't work long any day because Billy could give you about four hours at top mark, and and that was it. But certainly, you didn't. I didn't catch any any sense of fatalism or anything. He was he was wanting to make this movie and and having a good time doing it. Yeah, that's awesome. I hope he still screamed a little bit. He is a famous screamer, so I hope that he still mustered that. You have to you have to understand Billy. There's screaming, and then there's uh, Billy harasses you. <laughs> what I saw was Billy harassing people. Is it going to be today, Mo? Today are we going to do this? And it was great. I love that. Uh, that's that. That's a really lovely yeah. account of of that. And I think you know, I think we're all very much looking forward to it. And it's coming on Paramount Plus, which is great because Paramount is now our new corporate overlords. Right. So we so, can yeah. say, yeah. It's always good to promote that. Yeah. <laughs> and we're back. So there it is. Dale Die. What a legend. Yeah. I mean, this is. I'm I'm still blown away by the him being in a fat suit in the aquarium restaurant, like and him being in the parking lot in in Prague, like like how do I'm I have to go back and watch the movie now, looking for him hidden in the background of all these scenes. There's an alternate <laughs> cut that's like the what, what was the Eddie Murphy character from Nutty Professor, where it's just all. <laughs> They'll die in different the, the suits, clumps. different characters. The clumps. Yes, Mission the Impossible, clumps the clumps cut. cut. Yeah, we want to see the clumps cut. We have to see. I mean, I took a picture of a screen, the screen in the aquarium restaurant, and I was like, is this him? It was yeah. maybe him. It was sort of over Tom's shoulder. Yeah. But uh, well, And Rob Bottin's doing that makeup, so of course he's going to be unrecognizable back there. <laughs> I know, but I want a I full-on... like the, the fact that we've never seen this in behind-the-scenes stuff, we've never seen yeah. photos of this, it's just insane. <laughs> this is another reason why we desperately need to get Rob Bottin on the show. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's, I mean, there's just so much amazing stuff here. And, and, and again, you have to come back next week because he tells hilarious stories about Steven Seagal, Terrence Malick, John Melius, Paul Verhoeven. He talks about the uh, the Scott brothers. He's worked with both Ridley Scott and Tony Scott. He talks about that masterful opening sequence in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, and uh, this is just a warm up. But there was so much good stuff this week, too. I mean, the amazing to hear him tell the behind the scenes story of Platoon. Of course, that's like a, a, a big deal. That movie uh, it was a big deal um, and fun to hear his other connections with with crews like Born on the Fourth of July and, and how Tom cast him as his dad in Night and Day, which uh, I had forgotten about. I haven't seen that movie since theaters. And now I want to go back and watch it just for, for Dale. Right. And uh, and hearing him talk about William Friedkin and, and Friedkin's final film, The Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which uh, which I watched on uh, Paramount Plus. Um, so, yeah, you can check it out there. Um, 
that's yeah it was just it's a wonderful chat i can't i, I really really encourage you to come back next week because it's it, there's so much good stuff the all the best stuff's coming up too it just gets better so really encourage you to come back is there anything else uh we should encourage our listeners to do drew oh absolutely charles now that you mention it uh i want to first of all encourage people like you said to come back next week for part two of dale die i'm not going to say the best stuff is yet to come because i don't want people to feel like they wasted their time on this episode you know what i mean so but there is a lot charles is right there's a ton of great stuff again not because of us just because of him being amazing and telling the best stories if you could also like subscribe rate and review wherever you're listening to light the fuse the official mission impossible podcast that would be hugely helpful to us and our partners and charles of course people have to follow us on social media at Light the Fuse Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now TikTok. Oh, yeah. So just set expectations accordingly for that TikTok account. <laughs> we will not be dancing around or anything. Yet. Yet. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're working on it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And of course, also, uh, we should let everybody know that uh, the first six Mission Impossible movies are still available on Paramount Plus to stream there. So you should check that out. Of course, catch up on the movies. No, no better time. No better time. All right. We'll be back next week. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. Our supervising producers are Alexandra August and Abby Smith. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.